together and uh, praying together, singing together, uh, listening to uh, and hearing about what God is doing uh, even amongst the uh, children, uh, the little lambs, how uh, Grace Kids has exploded into a wonderful uh, ministry where indeed the little lambs among us are being fed uh, wonderfully by the leaders prayerfully um, as they take our children from us, take them downstairs and uh, give them these wonderful lessons so that they can uh, be reminded that Jesus has saved them as well. Well, before we get into our text this morning, let us ask for our Father's help in prayer. Would you please join me? Father, we are so thankful for the work that you have done in Christ and that you continue to do among your people on this earth. Father, we ask that as we peer into these words of truth, that you would help us to understand them, that they would invade our minds, that you would help us to meditate and dwell on the truth of what's being said this morning, that you would change us for your glory and for Christ's sake. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I wonder if you can think of the worst day that you have ever had. Because having the worst day can really make anyone go from a great mood to a terrible mood pretty quickly. You know the days I'm speaking of, right, where everything, and I mean absolutely everything, seems to be going wrong. It's almost like you got out of the wrong side of the bed and then everything just seems to not want to work in your favour, coffee machine doesn't work, you trip on one of the kids' toys, you get to school late, you can't get parking, you have a squabble with someone in the family or in the workplace. I can think of many times this has happened in my life, and I'm sure that you can think of the many times that it's happened in your life as well. Bad days just seem to be part of the human experience, and bad days can really affect our whole attitude on things to the point that we might sing in chorus with Mick Jagger, I just can't get no satisfaction, and say to ourselves, if only things could just change, then everything would finally be good. Well, this morning, we're wrapping up our series in uh, the book of Philippians by looking into a context where both writer and receiver weren't just having a bad day, but an incredibly bad season. And when I say bad season, I mean things had not gone their way for many, many years. And so you can imagine the temptation in all of this. If only things could just change, then everything would be finally good. Well, our apostle has some encouraging words for the church this morning. Come the best of times, come the worst of times, I've found the secret of contentment. I've learned to be satisfied in whatever life throws at me. And I want you to know what it is so that you might share in it as well. And as we explore our passage this morning, we'll actually see that Paul, in fact, gives us five encouraging things, uh, five encouraging truths for the church to dwell on in regards to this great theme of contentment. Now, before we have a bit more of a think on these things, let's first think about the context that our author 
the Apostle Paul was speaking from. If we think about it, he was a man who spent much of his ministry years under intense persecution. I mean, the book of Acts alone tells us that he was mocked, slandered, ganged up on, driven out of cities, abandoned, starved, stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, whipped, and imprisoned a number of times. In fact, the very letter that we're exploring this morning is a letter that was written from a Roman prison where our author was chained up and unable to get to his friends in Philippi. So that's the writer, that's the author. But what about the receivers? What was the Apostle Paul speaking into? Well, as we know through this series that we've done in Philippians, this church was highly persecuted, both externally and internally. Externally, the church was persecuted by the pagan society around them, which came with all sorts of social and economic ramifications, which we can only imagine. But as we saw in chapter 3, they also had the pressure of the Judaizers, a sect of so-called Christians who believed that the Philippians weren't really saved because the males hadn't been circumcised and kept to the requirements of the Mosaic law. That's some pretty big external issues. But that wasn't all that was going on. Internally, we know that this church had a division between two congregants which had pretty much parted the church like the Red Sea. So that's the context here. Both author and recipient were in horrid circumstances. But insult is added to injury when we also think about the mailman in all of this, Epaphroditus. Remember that guy? We met him way back in chapter 2, where we learned that he was sent from the Philippian church to Paul in Rome to bless Paul with both his companionship and the gifts from the Philippian church, as they had pretty much supported Paul in his missionary efforts since the beginning, as we see here in verses 15 and 16 of our text uh, this morning. Uh, give or take a few breaks. However, does anyone remember what happened to poor Epaphroditus? Well, the mailman got so sick that he almost died. And so Paul had to send him back to his friends in Philippi with this letter in hand. All this to say, and for all intents and purposes, these people were having a terrible time. And, And it seems like everything just wasn't working out for them. So with all that said and with all that in mind, Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. In other words, Paul was overjoyed that he had received Epaphroditus with the churches, his missionary partner's gifts. But as we're soon going to see, that's not the point that Paul wants to make here in these last few verses. No, though grateful, Paul is concerned that his friends understand that God wants them to also be content in their circumstances, that God desires for us, his precious blood-purchased people, to live in a state of satisfaction, even in this chaotic world. 
And so Paul, ever looking for the moment to uh, tell us about the hope that we have, he takes this opportunity as he's wrapping everything up to speak to us of the need for and the importance of contentment in the Christian life. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, look with me at verse 11. We read, I'm not saying all of this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Okay, so what we see here is that Paul wants to communicate to his friends the state that Epaphroditus found him in. Found him in. Uh, though he was delighted with their gifts, he was content with where he was at. In other words, he was satisfied with where he was in life and where things were, and he wanted his friends to know about it. Now, you might remember uh, last week that our apostle exhorted, he, he commanded us to dwell and meditate on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, pleasing, and wise. Whatever is commendable. And you might remember that commendable things are those things that we would happily recommend to others for their edification and their growth in Christ. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's commending to his friends that though in prison, though without the creature comforts of this life, that he is totally content. He wants the church to be edified in that. As I said before, Paul always looks for an opportunity to teach the church about the hope that we have. And so what we see here is Paul saying, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, I'm content. And so I would say that's the first thing that we are encouraged in here. God desires for his people to be content. Now, I say that God desires for his people to be content because this theme of contentment has come up in other places in Paul's inspired writings. Uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, I'm content. But listen to the rest of the verse. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. Let's stop right there and think about that. Because it, it seems that Paul has this kind of gratification for the horrid, right? Well, no, because listen to the rest of the verse. Because Paul kind of pulls up the bonnet and shows us the engine powering all of this. He goes on to say, even with all of this unpleasantness going on, for the sake of Christ, whenever I'm weak, then I'm strong. His point is, for the sake of Christ, Paul's content. Now, just so we're all clear and on the same page here this morning, contentment, as the Bible defines it, is not saying, not saying, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. No, contentment, as the Bible defines it, godly contentment, is being satisfied at peace and emotionally fulfilled with what one has or the circumstances in which they find themselves. And that's what we see with Paul. Even in all sorts of trials and suffering, Paul has made peace with it. In fact, he sees in this letter to the Corinthians, his weakness in his life is as exactly what is needed 
as it is the vehicle that has helped Paul get his fleshly, self-sufficient self aside, which leaves room for Christ's strength to accomplish what God has called him to do. Again, this theme of contentment comes up with Paul's ministry apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Which is to say, when Christians focus their life's efforts on pursuing godliness, which is thinking on and doing what God would have us to do with contentment, then we're going the right way. And that's our aim in life, right? Not gold, glory, and glamour, but this all works together. If godliness is our aim in life, then whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, well, we'll be content because we'll see the circumstances like Paul did as the vehicle God is using to make us more like Jesus. Church, it's impossible to be content when our hearts are set on gaining more, having more, being more. And so the warning is we'll go completely off track and down the rabbit hole if we're not content with what God has given us in this life. The writer to the Hebrews, in fact, sums this up in chapter 13, 5 of his book. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what, you've had, with what you have. For it is God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's the first encouragement here. God desires for his people to be content. And because this life, is going to have many curbs, bends, and potholes if our hearts are set on what we don't have and pursuing that, then the slope of losing trust in God is very slippery. So godly contentment is for our own good. But I want to dive a little deeper here because, yes, God desires for us to be content, but how do we obtain it in this chaotic world? Well, that's the second thing that our apostle encourages us in this morning. It's not natural to any of us. No, godly contentment was something that he had to learn. And might I just say, that, that is amazing, isn't it? I don't know about you, church, but being a bit of a dreamer and, and a goal setter, I can read something like this and feel so off the mark. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I can daydream about the what-ifs and the maybes a little too much. But listen to what our apostle says here in verse 11. Godly contentment wasn't natural to him either. No, it wasn't endowed on him when he met Jesus on the open road, but, in the, but this is important for us to know here, he had to learn how to be content in this chaotic world, which means you don't just trust Jesus and suddenly you're content with everything around you. It's something we have to learn. Now, let me be uh, crystal clear with you this morning. We enter into the finished 
and final work of Jesus Christ when we come to him and put our trust in him alone for our salvation. That is true of every single born-again Christian. We enter into Christ's finished work and rest. Uh, We rest satisfied that no more needs to be done. That's not to say that there aren't battles of contentment that we continue to fight against this side of eternity in our flesh all the time. And so church, take comfort in the fact that like our apostle who's writing to all Christians here, this is something we need to learn. So how do we learn to be content? This was something that Paul had to learn firsthand as a disciple of Jesus Christ in whatever context that God put him in. We might call it the school of life. In other words, Jesus teaches us godly contentment by and through our circumstances. Notice it, verse 11. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and plenty, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In other words, Paul had to learn to be content as he experienced real life with all its ups and downs. This is what I want us to think about this morning, church. See, I think we're in a better position to seek and find godly contentment when we come to the point of understanding that we might not actually have it. Let me say that again. I I think we're more likely to seek and find godly contentment when we come to the point of realizing that we might not actually have it in the first place. And so you might be wondering, well, how do I know if I have godly contentment? Well, the school of life, with its ups and downs, that God allows providentially to happen, well, that will usually reveal that to us. Think about it like this. If your circumstances in life are providing you with everything that you need, if you are totally content because of your things, if, you, if, if you're totally satisfied with the work of your own hands, that's actually not the best place to learn about godly contentment. Don't get me wrong, this isn't Paul saying only the poor will ever get this. It's as we read here, he learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. But let me say it again, if your circumstances, if your things are providing and fostering satisfaction, then will you really want to pursue what Paul is talking about here? Maybe. However, you're more likely to seek and find godly contentment when you realize that you lack it. And so God may allow circumstances to come into your life to reveal that to you. Why? Because he loves his children. See, if there's any area of our lives where we're still operating in the fleshly, self-sufficient self rather than looking to God to meet all of our needs, then our loving Heavenly Father will reveal where we lack dependence on Him. And we must 
and we should take great encouragement in that. Because when there's seasons where the water gets a bit choppy and the valley gets pretty dark, then think about how you're reacting to it all. Are you saying, if if only things could just change, then everything would finally be good? If only things were the way they were, then I would be happy. Well, brothers and sisters, I have good news for you. If you're out there this morning and saying, I am deeply discontent because of the fleshly, self-sufficient self, and it's not finding satisfaction any longer in my circumstances and stuff, then I have good news for you. You're in a better position and more likely to seek and find godly contentment than someone who finds total satisfaction in the work of their own hands. Now, this totally flies in the face of the Western world. I mean, the prophets of this age, they preach gold, glory, and glamour about having more and more. I mean, just see how people are reacting over the latest tax cuts. And so we should take Paul's encouragement as a bit of a warning as well, right? Because if we're still living for the things of this world, if we're still aiming to find our satisfaction in the work of our own hands, then we're missing out on the real thing. God, in his kindness, will sometimes take away the things that we look to for our contentment, that we hold on to for our satisfaction and will shepherd us into and through circumstances and situations so that we realise, wow, I really need God. Do you see how loving and personal our God is? Church, there are so many different stories and situations in this very room. So many different contexts where the rug has been pulled out from under us. Not because our God is cruel or just life happens to happen to us, but because we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're God's precious blood-purchased children. And thus, where our fleshly, self-sufficient selves have still looked to the things of this world, to the work of our hands, to our circumstances, to find contentment and rest satisfied, God in his kindness shows us that gold, glory, glamour, whatever it might be, they're fleeting things. He is all we need. Church, I don't know where you are this morning, but I want to encourage you. If you're in a life situation where the things of this world just don't satisfy, if your circumstances don't bring contentment, then you are in a position of great discovery. And that's that our contentment was never designed to come from those things in the first place. So God desires for his people to be content. Second, he teaches us about it by and through our circumstances. Third, well, Paul's got the secret to all of this and he wants to share it with us. So what is the great secret of verse 12? What is the secret that Paul has learned that he wants to share 
with all of us. Well, church, might I say, thus far, he has taught us that godly contentment doesn't come from our circumstances. No, if anything, all that Paul has been teaching the church is that the last place you want to look to for contentment and satisfaction is in your circumstances. So what's the secret? Well, it's right there in verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In other words, Paul is telling the church that the secret to godly contentment that he has learned in the school of life, in the difficult times, in the best of times, in the thriving of times, is that contentment and satisfaction isn't circumstantial in our surroundings, but it is guaranteed in our Lord and Saviour. Now, just something I, I want you to note here, this isn't Paul saying that you can do anything you want and you'll find a supernatural strength in it. But because if, if this is what he was saying, don't you think he would have ripped the chains off and flown to his friends in Philippi? This is a text that has been taken out of context and conned many, many people through the years. So our context needs to define what Christians do with this strength. And that's that we can do what God has called us to do, no matter the circumstances, because our hearts and minds have so embraced the fact that our God is good and that in his providence, in his sovereignty, he has given us the strength to do what he has called us to do in Christ Jesus, no matter where or in what we find ourselves in. That's the secret to contentment. It's knowing, knowing that God is sovereign over all our circumstances and that he gives us the strength in Christ to keep on keeping on no matter where or what we find ourselves in. If you're anything like me, this is such a monumental truth that is taking me years to learn because our hearts are so distracted by the things of this world, by, by our everyday circumstances. But this is the great encouragement. Our God desires this contentment in our life. And so he will give us the strength to learn how to walk in it. And that's the fourth encouragement here. It is God who supplies this strength. After Paul has thanked his friends and missionary partners, thank them for their years of common ministry. He ends by saying, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 19. Is that to say that God is now going to change all their circumstances and make them rich, make them influential, take them out of the persecution firing line? Well, no. Paul's great encouragement here is that though the church will go through the external and internal problems, though Christians individually will face incredible hardships, we must never think that our good father has abandoned us. Now, we live in a world where all sorts of things happen, but we also 
live in a world where we have great hope because the universe isn't random and our circumstances aren't haphazard. No, it's all under the sovereign control of our good God and no matter what he decides to give and bless, take or put his people through, we can rest satisfied that he will give us the strength to continue to do what he has called us to do in this world. So as we end our time in this beautiful and encouraging passage and book, there's just one more way that Paul wants to encourage us all this morning. It's found there in verse 20, right before Paul gives his final farewells to the church. Our apostle writes, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's Paul's final encouragement here? Well, not only does God desire contentment for his people, not only will he help us learn it, not only will he give us strength and supply it, but that our contentment will result in greater worship and appreciation of our God. That's Paul's final encouragement here to the church. As we receive godly contentment, it will only ever lead us to glorify our God and Father more and more on this side of eternity. That's a wonderful truth that is held out to every single born-again believer. As you come to know God more and more, as you learn to rest more and more in his good sovereignty, as we know who we are in Christ, As you experience wonderful contentment and satisfaction, no matter the circumstances, as you come to be thankful that your life is actually not built on gold, glory, or glamour, but on the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a deeper gratefulness that you will find directed in your personal life to your loving Father in heaven, who has rescued us by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, says verse 23. So church, as you go into your days, as you go into your weeks, with the various circumstances that will come your way, if you find yourself in the midst of it all wishing, if only things could change, then everything would be finally good, try to stop yourself from singing, I just can't get no satisfaction. Now stop yourself from looking and dwelling on the circumstances and dwell and meditate on what is true, on what God has revealed to us this morning. Those circumstances are not random or sporadic. They are under the sovereign hand of our Heavenly Father and he has given you the strength in Christ to be a godly mum a godly husband, a godly colleague, a godly boss in that situation. As there is a strength that our loving and good father has supplied to every single one of his beloved children so that we might be content with those circumstances. For it is our God who will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths of the gospel. That in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, we are invited to come as we are to the throne of grace, to find mercy and to receive grace in our time of need. Father, you know every circumstance, you know every life situation of everybody in this room. Father, we would ask that you would please help us to walk into these truths, walk in them, live them out, and that the truth of the gospel would bubble out of us to all those around us, that you would use this church to be a city on a hill, that we would be a light for your glory. Father, we ask for your strength. We ask for your grace. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.